I hope what I have for you guys today is what you actually need. I was a little touched by it, so hopefully you'll be touched as well. So I'm going to talk about mustard seed faith and hopefully give you guys a better understanding or a deeper meaning to what that really is. I love when I have a thought and from that thought, it's just God really trying to teach me something. So then I get to teach you guys inadvertently. Faith is the most important aspect for us to grasp as children of God. Faith is the foundation, the soil, the fertilizer, the sun, the water, the everything. It is the most essential part to our walk with Christ. I think since the beginning, since we started these, like whatever, how long it's been, eight, eight years I think now or something like that, I have really been examining faith from many different perspectives. And every time I look at it, I find something else that we need to add on to. So this is just another add-on to what we have been doing. And I think that most of us kind of summarize in our heads that we have faith. Like we're not saying we're faithless. We believe God and that kind of thing. So we feel like we're walking in faith uh, the majority of the time. We may say, I need to increase my faith, but we don't feel like we don't have faith. And we need to make sure that we didn't miss any points of how God looks at faith versus how we have defined faith. The one thing that is clear on the Bible is that it's very absolute. He really doesn't hem and haul about what he wants. He's kind of clear about his directions. Um, we kind of have made up a lot of stuff so that we don't have to do the hard work, but he's pretty absolute in what he defines stuff as. And we need to make sure that we are living up to his definition, not the definition that we've created over the years, because the definitions keep changing for some reason, but that we've created in order for us to feel like we are walking in God's spirit, but it's easy because we want it to be easy. I'm going to examine faith, and as I do this, I want you to look at yourself. I want you to examine yourself. I want you to see where do I need to grow? What stuff am I doing well? What am I not doing well? You want to, you know, take off your eyes of everybody else and really just put your eyes on yourself. So as usual, my lessons come from a place of self-examination, and for me, I feel like the point for us to come together is really to grow and flourish. Not so much to feel good or to get a high or get excitement. I really think that our main effort is to grow and learn more about God and get closer to God. Because if we're coming to meetings, whatever the meetings are, and we're not learning more about God, then we've kind of missed something. If I don't feel like God kind of put something in me that I can carry with me, that kind of changes me, then we kind of miss something because he's ever growing. He wants us to ever evolve and transform. And we're supposed to keep doing this until either he comes back to get us or we take the dirt nap. So we've got to really figure out, are we doing this in our meetings? Is this what we're getting every time we come? Because if we believe that our now stance is directly connected to our future stance, then we should make sure that right now we're getting it together because this is the only time we have. And though we think we have a lot of times, none of us really know when we're getting out of here. So we should do a lot of work continually as we're breathing to make sure we're right with Jesus since, you know, that's our aim is to be with him in the end and he gets to decide what he likes. So repentance and confession are sweet smells to Christ. We've kind of acted like confession and repentance is like a bad word, and we don't really want to partake in it. 
but it is sweet to Christ. He wants you to come boldly to him. He wants you to trust him to take your sins, to take your missteps, to take all of your iniquities. He wants you to do that. So if we're not doing that, then that means we're not living up to what he designed this whole relationship about. Because God won't forgive what we don't bring to him. We're sitting on sin. We're not acknowledging our own stuff. He can't forgive it. You have to take it to him. And since we've boggled the whole forgiveness thing so much with each other, we think that, you know, God acts like us. But for him, he only forgives what you bring to him. We tell people to forgive folks just because that's the Christian thing to do, but that's not how Christ forgives. You must come to him. You must say, I did X, Y, and Z, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. Then he gives you forgiveness. That just, he knows what's in my heart. That don't quite work with Jesus. He wants you to speak it. He wants you to confess it. And then even in the confession, we are healed when we confess one to another. And that's in James somewhere, but I can't tell you exactly where. You can find it. So what we're going to do is look at three different passages of scriptures and see the link between the two. Luke 13 and 18. So it says, now he began teaching them again about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom like, he asked. How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed planted in a garden. Soon it grows into a tall bush and the birds live amongst its branches. Go to Matthew 17 and 20. It says, because of your little faith, Jesus told them, for if you had faith even as small as a tiny mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move, and it would go far away. Nothing would be impossible. Luke 17 and 5. One day the apostle said to the Lord, we need more faith. Tell us how to get it. If your faith were only the size of a mustard seed, Jesus answered, it would be large enough to uproot that mulberry tree over there and send it hurling into the sea. Your command would bring immediate results. So we have concentrated so much on moving mountains that we missed the first component. And because, again, we figure we at least have faith the size of a mustard seed, because we know how tiny that is, like, we've all investigated that. We see that it's tea tiny, and you're like, I got that much. Um, we have summarized that the whole faith thing is kind of a joke. No, we don't say it out loud. But we are not believing that faith is moving mountains. We are not believing that my faith alone can pick up a tree and cast it somewhere. We just have to admit that, that I don't believe that part of the scripture. So I think what we should start with is understanding the significance of the mustard seed. Why does he use the mustard seed in these scriptures that seem a bit unrelated? So here you're talking about the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed. And then he says, if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, why is he connecting those two? Hopefully I'm going to give you guys that as we keep going. But we know that without faith, the kingdom of God will never grow. We have to have faith that we're going to infect other people with it. And I think our small faith, has really stifled the growth of the kingdom of God. Not the growth of people coming to church. People can come to church. You can come sit, you know, especially as black folks, we love a little Jesus. So we can come every week, sit in the pew, do all of that, but that doesn't mean that we're growing the kingdom of God. It's different. So he says that if we are ever to grow the kingdom of God, we must be like the mustard seed 
planted in the garden. So I did some research on the mustard seed in the plant. So here's the facts about the mustard seed. And I'm gonna interlock them with where I think he was speaking of our faith. So the mustard seed is an ancient plant that's full of appeal. The plants are easy to grow and produce seed in as few as 30 to 60 days. The greens are edible, the flowers are attractive. If the seeds are allowed to mature on the plant, they will self-sow and still provide plenty of mustard making. So if your mustard-sized faith matures on the plant, if we stay connected to God, because remember, he's the vine, we're the branches, we're never supposed to get disconnected from him we would mature and we would keep producing more seeds. Not keep that one little seed that we've been carrying in the back pocket. We were supposed to plant it and watch it grow. The mustard plant, depending on the type, can produce from 8,000 to 80,000 seeds in a year. That's a lot of producing. So you can see why God used this plant for the kingdom of God in that analogy. Because he, we were supposed to plant it and it was supposed to just take root. So if you ever travel to California, the wine country, and you see like all those yellow plants or trees or bushes, the winemaker plants those so that they can overrun the wine and it protects the vineyard from being infected. When it's plowed back into the soil, it creates its own nitrogen, which then makes the soil more fertile and it keeps producing more and more. Mustards also repel some insects. It attracts certain flies that are beneficial for, for predators that then come and chew the insects. So here we have is, as we know, Christ is the winemaker. He has deliberately planted faith in us to cover us. He prayed that our faith fell us not, and he led us into an open pasture to run rampant. The freer you are in God, the more faith you tend to have. The more constrained you are, the more rules you live under, the more don'ts you can't do, the smaller your faith is. Because you never test God to see, and you're never able to trust him to speak to you. You have to have man control you, and you don't trust God to set his own limits on you. Our faith will repel the insects that try to destroy us. But it also brings to us those things that seem to be harmful, but they then perfect us. So it's not always a bad thing for you to be tested. It is not always a bad thing for things to come into your life because God is trying to put something in you or take things out of you. So sometimes we're so busy praying for things to be moved that we don't sit there and let God do the work he needs to do in us. And we get angry with God and we're like, I pray for this to go away and why hasn't he done it? And then our faith gets smaller because you're like, I say it, you know, speak anything and it's supposed to be done and move the mountain and the mountain's still standing in my face and I'm like the Jesus ain't really doing what he said he was going to do and all of this but you're not seeing his will you're not seeing his purpose because remember no matter how hard we fight his purpose will be done he is going to get us where he needs to get us we are going to become like full of God and full of faith before this is all over now you can fight him or you can go along with it. But we tend to like to fight God because we don't really trust God. That's why. So another aspect is over the years, mustard, excuse me, have been infused with healing powers. It's been called an appetite stimulant, a digestive aid, and a decongestant. 
Because mustard increases blood circulation, it's often used in plaster to treat inflammation. This little mustard is a lot to, you know, you got a lot going on. When our faith is strong, we hunger and thirst after God and his word. When our faith is weak, we are very satisfied with just a couple or a service a week and feel a little mm, and we go on about our business. But when your faith begins to grow, you realize you need more and more of God. You know that you need him. Not just this is something to pass, but you really, really need him to make it. Uh, when our faith is strong, it helps us digest whatever bitter food that comes down. And it also helps us see the good things that come. Faith helps us process life. Faith also has the ability to unclog us. Again, our salvation was supposed to lead us to a free life. When we are stifled and blocked, it is a sign of a lack of faith. I don't trust God to lead and guide me, so I will play it safe and stay on the boat. It takes faith and courage to walk out on the water. A huge amount of faith and courage. And we would rather just stay next to each other. Like, I don't really want to go out in the big world with just Jesus. That's, that's a little scary. So I'm staying next to you, and you can tell me what to do and how to process Jesus so that I don't have to be responsible for how I see him. I'll just let you be responsible. Because ultimately, I don't trust God to lead and guide me. When is, uh, what is really happening, excuse me, is just we have a lack of faith, so we stay close to shore. Good blood circulation is essential for healthy living. Our faith helps us to keep circulating. We are supposed to be fluid. Now, inflammation, as we have now realized, is the cause of so many diseases. We're just inflamed. Faith helps us from being inflamed. It actually protects us from diseases. It actually keeps us safe with God. But we don't use it the way we're supposed to use it because we only want to use faith to benefit us on the things we can see. Forgetting the faith that, the fact, excuse me, that faith is the unseen thing, but we only use faith for what we can really touch. So if I can touch it, then I say, well, I got faith. Look at that. Look at Jesus. He didn't work for me. But when you can't see what he's doing, then you feel like your faith ain't working. Another aspect of the mustard is that it is free of insects and disease problems. And larger critters seem not to like it either because the mustard seed is actually hot when it's on the vine. The hotter and drier the weather, the faster the plant seed grows. Faith is free of insects and disease. It even keeps Satan away. The reason why we are not able to repel Satan is because he knows we don't really believe him. He knows Jesus really good. He actually really believes him. He knows his power. He knows his end is near. He knows this thing is in the bag. Us, on the other hand, we're a little frightened still. So the devil knows how much faith you really have. So you're saying the scriptures, but you don't believe them. And you're like, why aren't they working? Because you don't really believe it. So you can't just quote scripture and think that you're going to get the result because without faith, nothing works. The Bible is just a folklore if you don't have faith that goes with it. They are just stories. And that's why people in the world can be like, it's just a book of stories. It is for them because they don't have faith to believe it. It's only powerful it's only alive if you add faith on top of it. But we pick and choose when we want to use faith. And it's why scriptures say that it's possible 
not to falter, not to grow weary, and not to fall. And we read those scriptures and we kind of just jump over them because everybody we know has fallen at some point in time, has faltered, has grown a little weary. And it's like, how is this truth? It just doesn't seem like this is the truth that if you live this thing with God, you won't. So if you're patient, you're going to mount up with wings of eagle, you're going to fly, you're going to run and not get weary. How is that possible? Because you have patience and you're waiting on God. You put everything in him. So if you're trusting him to guide your every step, if you're trusting his plan, no matter what comes, and you're saying, I know this is God, I know he's going to show me, I know I'm a walking, you're not falling. But we see falling as not getting everything we want. We see falling as, oh my God, I sinned. He already knew you were going to sin. But did you go to him with the plan he created? Did you confess your sin? Did you trust he was going to forgive you? Did you forgive yourself and did you move on with it? See, that's all a part of it. That's not you falling. You're still holding on to God. You're still saying, I believe in your power. I believe in what you said, that I'm able to do this. I can boldly run to you. That's not falling. So we have to readjust the way we see things so that we are in step with the scriptures. Another little point is that if you let the pods get too ripe, your garden could become overrun with mustard plants which is exactly what we want. Our faith needs to get ripe so we can be overrun and then allow our faith plants to grow all over each other and every circumstance. If you talk to someone that is full of faith, you become quite faithful. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Talk to somebody that's been through some stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, this, this, and that. And, oh, yeah, God's going, he's got a plan. He's going to work it out. And you're like, why are you so positive? And you're almost like, are you for real? Like, you know you need to be sad. You know you need to be crying. What is wrong with you? Because you almost don't believe it. But if you think of like back in the day, right? Back in the day. And black people had an extreme amount of faith. Like the fact that slavery didn't just take us out and make us just not believe that there's a God. That's an amazing thing right there just all within itself. That you guys were like getting beat and tortured for hundreds of years and millions of your people died and you still said, but there's a God in heaven that loves me? What is that? Maybe we need to get back and touch some of that stuff. We need to go back and grab that. We didn't become, we didn't lost our brains a little bit. But talk to people who have faith. When you're going through, you said, don't grab the person that's going to be on your side and wailing and crying and giving a pity party. You need faith next to you. You need something to push you because we are able to infect each other. If you tell me you got laid off of your job, you don't know where your money's coming from for the next week, I need to speak faith to you. I need to say, but God always has a plan. He said he would never leave you, forsake you. He said he would provide your needs. He said that's what we need to speak to each other. But if I don't really believe it, and I'm just saying in the scripture because that's what I'm supposed to say, it don't touch my heart. You didn't really encourage me. You just gave me some half scriptures I don't believe either, and now we just both making up words together. So if we look at this, and we can see why he then says that we're not to take thought for tomorrow, that's insane. We're supposed to only live in today. Like that's what the Bible says. We don't really do that either. But I'm just saying that he said, take no thought 
for tomorrow. Just live right here. You got these 24 hours, hopefully. Just stay there. Don't think about tomorrow because if we're honest, where our faith starts getting weak and where we get anxious is because we're thinking about tomorrow. We're, we're ahead of ourselves. Our grace and mercy is just right here. You just got enough for today. He didn't give you enough for tomorrow. Not yet. So just stay right here because we're not really that great. We, we, we already faltering and we're trying to jump ahead. So you're walking into the future with no grace and mercy behind you. How are you going to do that? Because when we talk faith and we let others devour it, I then planted a seed of faith in you. And then that seed of faith gets to be blossoming. And that's how we overrun each other with faith. And this is what he wanted us to do. Doing your part to increase the kingdom of God. So if you look at your own life and the way you behave and the way you speak, are you infecting others with faith? Are you planting seeds of faith into other people? Sometimes we're actually digging in the soil and pulling out some seeds that other folks had planted by the way we act and behave. So it makes sense that God chose the mustard seed as the example. He knew the greatness of the potential of the seed. We got stuck on the seed and forgot to plant it. We kept quoting the scriptures where we didn't fully understand the potential that is in the seed of faith. And this is why he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing would be impossible to you. Because he knew once planted, it would take over your life. You would become full of God. And I was looking up, when I was looking up the mustard seed, they had all these little cute little things that you could buy at the Christian store with a little seed, and you're supposed to carry it around. You're like, oh, I got the mustard seed of faith. Don't carry that seed around, y'all. Put that in some soil and get to growing it because we're not supposed to carry it. We're supposed to plant it. We got the seed when we believed in God, but we just kept carrying the seed around. We kept showing everyone who I have a seed, like that's the greatest accomplishment, but we failed to plant the seed, nourish the seed, and watch it grow. We were never supposed to just keep a mustard-sized amount of faith. Don't brag no more that I got, just take a must. don't you say it no more after this. You say I got to plant it and it's supposed to blossom. If you go online and look how big mustard seed plants grow and how big they get in the Mediterranean, it actually turns into a huge tree. It's massive. That's what he wanted. So increase yourself, get a little bigger, that seed is too small for you. Jesus is too great for you to be walking around with a little pebble in your pocket. So if we look at this and we remember Luke 13, when he made the reference that the kingdom of God would be like the mustard plant and the birds could come and nest in it. Is your faith full enough for others to nest in it, to get shade from it, and to rest so they can carry on on their journey? Does your faith look like that? Can I come sit in your tree? Because I'm tired, and sometimes we need each other to be able to rest. But are you a safe tree for them to rest in? Can I bring you my stuff and know that it's safe with you because you're going to carry it in faith? And then you're going to deposit a seed in me so that my faith can grow no matter what my circumstances. That's us growing the kingdom of God. So the next aspect. What makes seeds not grow well? 
tends to be the soil and the conditions. So what kind of soil are you? And this is what the Bible says about those with good soil, and then you can see if you really got good soil. Luke 8 and 15. The seeds that were planted on good ground are people who also hear the word, but they keep it in their good and honest hearts and produce what is good despite what life may bring. That's God's words translation. So again, the seeds that were planted on good ground are people who also hear the word, you hear it, but you keep it in your good and honest heart and you produce what is good despite what life may bring you. Matthew 13, 7 and 9, or 8, excuse me, 8 through 9. And it says, still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So it is not just about you hearing, but it's also about you understanding. And if you were in the same position year after year after year, and you have produced nothing, there's something wrong with you. You should stop claiming good soil. You should go up and read about the other soil that wasn't good, because that may be where you are. And you need to just be honest and ask God to perfect your soil so that you can become the good soil. And he's okay with that. Remember, it's just about confession and repentance so that he can get you where you need to go. But whenever you hear these pe people preach this, because you've heard the good soil message many times if you ever go to church, everyone feels like they're good soil. Are we the good soil saints? Nobody's ever the rocky soil. No one ever throwing, you know, the soil that can't even get penetrated. We never the hard, dry soil. But sometimes our hearts are hard and dry. And, and the word of God is not getting into us. And we have to be honest to say, you know what? That message just did not penetrate my soul. And Lord, you give me these words. I know this is your word. And for some reason, I don't believe it. So help me believe it. Open my heart up so that I can take it in, so it can be deposited, so that it can flourish. Every time you read a scripture, like stop trying to read like a whole book. You know, we, we get so excited. We didn't read the whole Bible in a year and we didn't done all this. And every morning we're waking up reading new scriptures. I don't even know what the last scripture I read. It didn't really mean nothing to me. So, I mean, if that's the case, why are you doing it? He's not impressed because you're just reading some words. He wants to change your life. So if you're not letting him change your life, then what's the point? We're just all fooling ourselves, waking up at five in the morning, praying together and all this. And we don't even mean it. We don't even have faith to go with it. So we just got to change the way we do things. So check your heart. Check what is taking your faith away. What is taking your trust away? What is taking your peace away? You look back on your life. When is the time you lost peace? What happened? Really investigate. What makes you not trust God? What do you feel like he didn't do for you? The reason why you're not believing on him. What do you feel like came in your life that you didn't like and you felt like that meant God wasn't with you and made you lose faith? Now ask God to make that stuff clear for you so that you can get a better understanding of who are you and what are we doing together? Because he already gave you the seeds. You are the sower and you get to determine the kind of soil you want to be. So it's not like your heart is just one thing. You get to plant whatever you want to plant. You get to cultivate in yourself whatever you want to cultivate in yourself. 
If you want to be good, if you want to grow in God, if you want to have faith, you have all the ability to do that because you're already God's. He already gave it to you. So if we're, you know, lacking and, and, and just acting a fool half the time, it's because we choose to. If I'm faithless, it's because I choose to be. Stop making it be God's fault when it's your fault. So will you plant your seeds or will you just hold on to them and put them on the shelf? We have been worshiping the seed instead of planting the seed. We have been worshiping coming to church. We have been worshiping saying I'm saved. We have been worshiping I know Jesus. We have been worshiping I don't do X, Y, and Z. But we are not planting anything. How much growth are you adding to the kingdom? When he said, he said, we have to go make disciples unto men. That is a mandate. That is a command from God. Be baptized, right? Go out and baptize them and make disciples out of men. Who have you discipled? Not who did you come till come to the church and get baptized and God filled them because you had nothing to do with that. Right. And you had nothing to do with them even choosing to get baptized. You were just merely just a little drop of water. God used you. But who have you discipled into the kingdom? He's looking for us to do that. We cannot say, I'm not going to do that. Jesus, like you do the discipling. You the God. He said, you, I called you to do it. Whose lives are you changing? You can't just change your own life. Because then how is the kingdom going to grow? And it's not the preacher's job to save everybody. Stop being lazy. Stop being so excited that you got up every Sunday morning and you go down there and sit in a comfy pew for a couple of hours and you raise your hand and sing a song and maybe you feel a little movement and think that you're doing something for God. You're doing that for you. You're going to feel good for you. And to say, ooh, I pressed through. Sacrifice of praise. God wants more than this. We've got to raise the bar and stop being satisfied with mediocrity. So the point is to repent. You turn from it. You get new information. You say, Lord, I thought I was doing it right. Thought you was happy with me coming down here, sitting in the pew and waving my hand. Oh, my Lord, you want more. That's all. See, it's not that big of a deal to say I'm wrong. It's not that big of a deal to say I got it wrong. I've been doing this for X amount of years and I thought I was walking with you. And, you know, I was short. He don't mind you being short. We then have to realize that we have to become real witnesses of faith, not just quoting scriptures and deliberating on our views, because we love to talk about our beliefs. We love to tell what, you know, no matter whatever denomination you put yourself in, you love to sit there and go back and forth with people about that, of how right you are. But we bear witness to our walk with God, not in totality. We just give them the book and we walk away because I'm supposed to witness my life. If we read the scriptures, they are about people's lives. They're not just stuff that was made up. These people live this. How did they change the world? Because they witnessed about their life. What have you witnessed about your life? How have you showed people how God worked for you? If you never quote chapter and verse, if all you give them is the witness, the story that God gave you, that is going to change people because you're going to make God real then. Contrary to what we believe, just quoting a bunch of scripture does not really move the average person. 
You meet somebody that don't really know nothing about God, that ain't even, it doesn't move them. But you tell them about where you've been. You tell them what God, you know God has done for you and how he changed your life. That opens people's eyes. That says God is real. But maybe we don't do it because we don't believe it. Maybe we've gotten too comfy and now we're like, I'm not even sure if this is all worth it. It's easy to become a habit and not be real. And you got to constantly check yourself to make sure I'm really, really trying to do this with God. Because do you know the vastness of God? We can say that uh, we know that God is able to do certain things based on scriptures. The story of them not being burnt in the furnace. That's because they told their story about people being able to, to be taken out of prison because they told their story. When did God take you out of prison? Because we've all been in some prison, some prison in our mind. Something kept us captive. Can you share that with somebody that you was locked up, that you could barely move, that you were so gripped with fear? But God, if we look at the Psalms, look how honest David is. He never played the games. We, we would never pray the prayers that David prayed. Never. Because we didn't got too soft as Christians. When he got down to it, he was like, crush their teeth. Make them pay. Make it be a slow pain. And you will always see a transition in the Psalms of when he will go back to, but God, I know you. But God, I know your salvation is real. But God, I trust that you're going to do this the way you need to do this. We don't talk to God like that. We come with these little fake little Father God prayers and, and Jesus, you, this, and all that. When we don't believe that, we don't give our life to God. I don't pour out my substance before God. I just give him what I think he wants to hear. But he wants to hear everything. He wants to hear how bad it is. He wants to hear when you don't have faith. He wants to hear when you think he's a joke. He's bigger than us. Like our little anger does not take him off the throne. Stop thinking so big of yourself. You know, folks say you're not supposed to question God. You can't get angry with God. You can't do nothing with God except look cute and pretty and dress up for him and put a parade for him. He's God. Be real with him. He can't help you. Like I said before, he can't do nothing you don't give for him. He's not forcing his way in your house. He's not about to go through your diary and read your books. He's not about to say you didn't do that. He's not going to do it. You have to be honest with him and come boldly to him. Otherwise, your relationship with him will be as surface as it is with most of the folks in your life. So we cannot just have scriptures not mixed with faith. We need to bring Jesus alive in the now. So look what Christ says in Luke 13, 6 through 9. And this is the parable of the barren fig tree. It says, then Jesus told his story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. 
If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. So we can't think we have all the time in the world to get it right. God has been very clear that we need to have faith, live faith, exhibit faith, and grow faith. You may keep giving yourself a pass, and we may give each other a pass, but that doesn't mean that God is giving the pass. And the only person that can give us a pass is God. God wants to see fruit. No fruit means that you're wasting his time. No fruit means you're wasting space. We can give your space to somebody else. I'm just going to cut you down and throw you on out since you don't want to do my plan. You don't want to work with me. You're not really into this. Then let's, let's fill the space with somebody else because I need to grow this. He's trying to get this as big as he can before he comes back. He is holding off so that no one perishes. What grandiose thought is that, that no one perishes? Like he really wants to save the entire globe? Yet knowing that he can't because they won't choose him. But man, serious? The entire globe I want, but I need you to get to the globe. He can't do it alone. So you're staying here in this little corner thinking you're doing something. He needs the globe touched. What are we doing to touch the globe? Well, God bless all the missionaries. Some people doing the groundwork. Like we, we should kick ourselves in the butt a little bit because we know good and well we have not made ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of Christ. We're really comfy. You know, we, we have not put in work. And we like, well, I want a life like the apostles. You know you don't. And you know, and you're like, I want that faith. I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to say that. I want to have that much conviction in my heart that no matter what comes my way, I'm willing to let you take my head off. And y'all know somebody walking here right now, we'd be like, you got to die for the cause? You know we not like, take me out? You know, we sitting there saying, really? Do you need to take me out for this to be, you know, to work? I'm going to go tell somebody that you delivered me from the bullet. Is that good enough? But we're not really into <laughs> trying to lose our lives for him. But remember, he said, you've got to lose your life. To gain the life. We not sacrificing. We won't even put our sin on the altar. Let alone our life. I'm scared to say Jesus I'm a sinner. Save me. I didn't mess up. Save me. We can't even do that. Let alone say take me out. Just another look. Keep us on our toes. Because, you know, we've concentrated so much and we've heard message and message about the fruit of the spirit, right? And then the peace, the joy, the love, the happy, all that other stuff. Happiness ain't in there, but peace, love, joy, you know what I'm talking about. And we don't realize that without faith, you can't have any of those. We've concentrated on the wrong things. Everything is based on faith. So if we don't have real faith, like God faith, that he wants us to have, you, everything else is manufactured. So you wonder why you have no peace is because you have no faith. You wonder why you got no joy is because you have no faith. You don't have peace, you don't have joy, you don't have kindness, you ain't got no brotherly love. You don't have none of that stuff because you don't have faith. 
So every promise that God made is contingent on your faith. So if you're not living the promises, it's because you don't have faith. So instead of being mad at God saying he don't provide stuff, you should just be mad at yourself for not believing. Because your fertilizer will always be your faith. You want something to grow, connect to your faith. And this is why that prayer in Ephesians 3 is so powerful. If we could ever really, really grasp it. Ephesians 3 and 17. And this is what Paul prayed for, for the people. He says, and I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. So knowing the gravity of God's love will always lead to faith. Knowing the character of God will always lead to faith. Knowing and understanding that God is never surprised and his plan will always be accomplished will always lead to faith. How do you become full of God? You learn and understand his love. It isn't magic, it's just faith. It takes faith to believe in this kind of love. You've got to connect the two. We don't believe God loves us the way he says he loves us. Just for some crazy reasons, our brain can't quite grasp it. So we love almost for the calamities to come because it's further proof that God doesn't love me and it gives me a pass in believing his word. Crazy. But you're like, see, I knew I shouldn't have put all my trust in him. Look at this mess. Why I get laid off? Why my kid die? Why I got cancer? Why did this stuff come to me? And I said I believed in God and I said I trusted him and he let this stuff come. That is proof that he does not love me. That is proof that I should not trust him. See, the devil will use anything he can. And because we're ignorant of the devil and his devices, because we think the devil is working in things that he's probably not even really working in, <laughs> we have fallen for every little stumble he throws on the ground. He's not even putting big branches. He got little twigs and we still flipping over them. Same process he did with Eve is the same process he's doing with us. Don't trust God. Are you sure he's for you? Are you sure he's not going to mess you over? Why he don't want you to have that? Why he don't want you to eat this? Because he's got something tricky. And that's what we're still thinking. God is tricky. Because he won't tell me what he wants to do. He don't give me no heads up. He just let junk come in my path. And I'm sitting here figuring out what you want me to do with this. Just trust you? Blindly? And I done failed like six times? We don't want to do that. And then we're not even courageous enough to say the truth. I figure all we got is the truth. That's the best mark we're going to do to get to heaven. It's just be honest and just say, I'm just a dirt clod, and you created me, and you chose me, and you're going to have to do this for me because I can't do this, and I keep messing up, and I keep not having faith, and I keep not believing you, and I keep not trusting you. 
Just be honest. So why is faith so important? Why can't we just use the little bit we have and be content with it? Hebrews 11 and 6 gives us the answer. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we didn't read this like five million times, and still we feel like it's okay not to have faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'm just going to break that down just a little bit. So impossible is defined as not possible, unable to be, exist, or happen. Unable to be done, performed, or effected. Incapable of being true, not to be done, endured, with any degree of reason or decency. Utterly impractical, practicable, excuse me, hopelessly unsuitable, difficult, or offensive. It is all that and you will never please God. It's impossible. Just sit with that for a little bit. So the Hebrew word to please means to gratify entirely. If you don't have faith, you simply can't please God. You can't give God any pleasure. You can't make God smile. You can't delight, satisfy, or enchant him. So you can come to church, but God isn't pleased. You can read your Bible, but God isn't pleased. You can fast, but God isn't pleased. You can speak in tongues. God is still not pleased. And you can check off all your sins and say, not me, but God isn't pleased. You must have faith to please God. So you ask yourself, how pleased are you, God, with me? And then maybe you're not wanting to please him. Maybe you just want what you can get from him and him being satisfied is not on your list. You must have faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed that has been planted in good soil and producing a full bush or tree of seeds. That is what he's looking for, and that is what he expects of us. So let us offer confession and repentance right now to God. Just go on in your seat and confess your sins. And now trust that God is going to take care of it. So if you look at each aspect of this verse, we see what a life of faith looks like. The first criteria is that you must come to him, come directly to him, come boldly to the throne of grace, come knowing that he wants you to be there. You have to come, not through others, not even through the word of God, but come directly, openly, vulnerably to him. God's people are called to live lives of radical openness to and in conversation with God. Nothing else quite works. Secondly, you must believe that he exists. Now, this seems like a crazy point to add because it's quite paradoxical because you say, come to God. Well, who am I coming to if I don't believe the person is right there? Why did he add that in there? That's why you got to read really slow. Make sure you don't miss anything. This leads me to believe that it's possible to come to God, yet not believe in his totality of being. The belief is deeper than there is a God. The belief is that he is the ultimate only savior, our Lord. He is everything that the book says about him. Do you believe in him like this? Every promise, every warning, every truth, is that the God you're coming to? Are you coming to the pale-faced Jesus that's been on the pictures that we've been looking at? 
who you're coming to. And this is a huge point. He says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think we all need to do a little work, and I am included in this, on how earnest we are seeking God. Earnest. It's an adjective to demote what kind of seeking is needed. So the earnest is a serious in intention, purpose, or effort. Sincerely zealous, showing depth and sincerity of feelings. When you come to God, are you seeking him like this? Are you really like, oh, I need to know more about you? Nothing, nothing else, like just you, Jesus, is who I need to have in my hands so that I can embrace and hug and kiss and talk to and have tea with and just share my life with. Is that how you're coming to Jesus? That is what he wants. And I jump to the earnest part because we want the rewards, but they come from the heart that is sincerely seeking. So we're mad that we don't get the rewards because you're not earnestly seeking him. If you were earnestly seeking him, you would have it because he can't lie. So when things don't come up in the scripture that seem like a lie, it's because we've missed a part. And maybe not on purpose. Maybe we just didn't really understand it. And I need to get clarity, but that's the part of seeking him. That's the part of you sitting with just one scripture and saying, what does this mean? How can I figure this out? We're all bright people. We know how to read. We know how we can research anything we want to. We can go in. We can Google. We can get dictionaries. We can do all this stuff. But when it comes to the word of God, we're like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. I don't understand. Really? But you got a degree in engineering? You've been to school for, for we've been to school for 50 years, I feel like. And, and you can't, you don't know these words? This is too difficult for you, but you full of the spirit. You full of the God that created the word. You got the word walking and breathing and living in you. And you think he's not going to give you understanding of the word because he wants you to be dumb because he wants to trick you. Stop that. So to seek, to go in search or quest of, to try to find or discover by searching or questioning. Remember the one thing I have that desire is to dwell in the house, of, to inquire in his temple. That means to question stuff, to figure God out. Let me just sit with you, Jesus, and figure out who you are. Now, we know we should stop singing that song and stop saying that scripture until we really, really live it. And we say, Lord, when we read it, we should say, I hope to get to the point where my one desire, because, you know, we got like a gang of desires, but my one my one and only desire is just to be with you. However that looks, however we get there, I'm just going to trust this. We're not there. And we could be doing this for 10, 20, 15 years, and we still not there. Jesus is still not our top priority. And I don't know when he will become one. I don't know what has to transpire in our lives for him to take the one spot. So to fulfill this, we need to search and discover by searching and questioning, go on a question with serious intentions, purpose and effort, showing depth and sincerity of feelings, because God knows our heart and our depth. And I see why the old church met so often to talk and connect and to speak faith to each other. 
because we have too much separating us. We got these huge buildings. We're happy that we got mega churches and we're feeling, you know, all this power and whatever else we're feeling. We're not learning about God. We, we're not touching each other. We're not putting faith on each other. We're just, what are we really doing? And I think that's what we have to ask. What am I doing? Just that question alone, like every day you wake up or every time you go to this church service, what am I doing? What, what am I trying to get out of this? What is it giving me? Nothing wrong with being a little critical. We are talking about heaven or hell. We are talking about eternity. And it's amazing how belligerent we can be with certain things. I mean, we can go toe-to-toe with some stuff. We will argue and defend and fight for our beliefs and our causes and all of that. We can be rebellious. We can do all that stuff. But when it comes to my life, my eternity, that once I hit the, the grave, I can never reverse why are we so passive? Why are we so willing to say, oh, well, whatever they teach me. Oh, however they say Jesus looks. Are you serious? I mean, where is the rally to say I've got to find the real Jesus? Like, if we upsetting everybody and everybody's mad at you, this is your life. This is you being either in heaven or hell. You're not willing to kick up a little dirt? You're not willing to flip a couple of tables for your life? That's some crazy stuff. That's how we've been programmed. That's programming at its best. Just stay the course. Trust whoever's in charge. This is your life. You better go for it. If I do nothing else, I hope you take that. Go fight for your life. Because... If you happen to be in either place, then Lord knows we need to get to heaven. You sitting there singing, but Lord, they didn't teach me that. I'm at the throne and he's saying, well, you don't get in. But I came every week. I didn't do these sins. I did tell somebody about the, the Jesus. Is that not enough for you? And if he says no, what you going to do then? Just burn. All because you wouldn't kick up some dust to save your own life? You should investigate every single thing in this book. Unless you don't believe it's life or death. Because maybe we don't. Maybe we've just gotten a little lazy with it. Because who knows if really there's a heaven or hell anyway. We can't prove it. So in truth, we've gotten real lazy in our pursuit of God. And again, forgive us Jesus for that. All he wants is for you to seek him. All he wants is for you to want him. That's really all he's asking for. Seek me, want me, want to hang with me, want to do right by me. He's not asking for like a whole bunch. And we keep saying, I don't want you. I want what your hand can provide. I want you to keep me living. I want you to make sure I eat. I want you to keep my kids safe. If I get sick, I need you to heal me. But I don't want you. We got to do better. Because this is really bad if you really think about it. 
And see, this makes me, whenever I do this stuff, it makes me feel really bad. Because I know that I'm not where I need to be. So like I always say, I'm not up here saying I got this all together. He just gives me the words to speak, and then he slaps me upside my face in the midst of why I'm typing the words. And as I deliver it, because we all have work to do. We can never just give ourselves a pat on the back and say, I got this right with Jesus. I'm good. I know I'm going to heaven. Hmm. I'm so glad you're so confident because I'm still trying to work my stuff out. Now I'm going to trust he's going to work it out in me and I know I'm saved and I get the cross work and I got all that. But I also know that there's requirements. And I also know that he gets to choose. I don't get to choose to say I got it right. Take me in. He gets to choose. So what if he don't like what I'm sacrificing? What if what I put on the altar wasn't good enough? And he said, I don't, how many times have you read in the Old Testament where he said, I don't receive that. You can come, you can give your songs, you can do all that, read Amos. Um, all, he said, but I don't even hear it. So I'm screaming and yelling and spitting and crying. And he, deaf to my words. But I think I've done something. That shows how out of touch we are with God. Hebrews 4. I'm almost finished. Y'all probably tired of me. Okay, 4 and 14. But Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest who has gone to heaven itself to help us. Therefore, let us never stop trusting him. You can never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses since he had the same temptations we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. So let us come boldly to the very throne of God and stay there. We keep walking away when he needs us to stay still. Your time with God shouldn't just be about five minutes. Oh, God, I touched you, you know, and, and you keep going. He says, stay there to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need. You've got to stay there until he tells you to go. You can't just get up and go when you're ready. He may make you stay there for a long time. You're not ready yet. And one reason why we stay so long is because we keep fighting him. He's like, Lord, I really would like to let you get up, but you seem not to be able to get the message. So go on and stay a little longer. You know, the surgery is as long as it is because we fighting every step of the way. And look who we're fighting. Think about that just for a minute. I am fighting the God of the universe. I am fighting the God that keeps this world spinning. I am fighting the God that keeps breath in my lungs, who keeps my heart beating, who lets me be able to walk, who lets me be able to think and breathe and digest every single day. That is who, why am I fighting you? It's a little insane. I don't trust you, but you haven't dropped earth yet. You keep the rain going. You keep the trees blooming. You keep the sea from not overcoming the land. But I don't, you can't get my stuff right. You can't handle my little issue. But you spinning and moving and doing all this other stuff. But no, I don't think you're that powerful. Have a seat, Jesus. I got this. Because I can't even make my heart beat. You're so arrogant. Oh, my gosh. 
So here's what my thinking, my final thoughts. Faith must be looked at overall and situationally. We sometimes have overall faith, but we lack it in particular situations. When we detect this, we must confess our sin of no faith, trust God is just to cleanse us from our sin, meaning he washes the lack of faith from us. Then he heals us from all unrighteousness. He then imputes back his righteousness into us, and he drops another seed of faith for us to plant again. See, how beautiful is that? Because he's going to keep it going, because he knows we need the faith. He's going to keep dropping it in you until you get it, until you plant it and let it bloom. We need to have an open confession of our lack of faith, naming the situations where we lack the faith and then apply the scriptures. Because if we confess to each other, we get healed. A humble and contrite spirit, God will not deny. We don't want to tell nobody, though. Because that's like bad for me to say, I don't believe in God. That's bad. You know who's, who's getting on the testimony floor? I don't think nobody do testimony service no more. But who's getting on the testimony floor and saying, you know what, guys? I just need to confess. I don't really believe God. And I don't trust him. Do you know each and every person who's of such high-mindedness is going to come and tell you, oh, you are about to just bust hell wide open. But little do they know I'm the one who got closer to God than they did. I just stepped a little closer to, to the throne. I came boldly the way he told me to. He told me to confess to you and that in my confession I'm going to get healing because hopefully I'm going to confess and you're going to speak to me and you're going to say, you know what, I ain't got much faith myself. What do we need to do together to, to help each other out? One day that's going to happen. <sighs> if we don't get our faith on point, we cannot please God. We have summed this verse up too much instead of slowly dissecting and devouring. Do I really believe that God will reward me? In every situation that I'm facing, that I need faith, do I believe that God will reward me? Am I really seeking God diligently? Because we ebb and flow with that way too much. Like we want Jesus sometimes and life happens, right? We get busy, stuff comes around, we got deadlines and all this other stuff, and we kind of put Jesus on the side. Everybody done done it. And then we come back to him when Something terrible has happened, and you're like, I need to investigate Jesus again so I can get my life right. So just, God, forgive me. I put you on the shelf. I'm sorry. I'm going to pick you back up. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. That's your reward, is finding him. If you knock, the door will be answered. That's your reward, finding him. If you confess, I'll forgive you, that's your reward. Come and learn of me and I will give you rest, and that is your reward, him. In all these verses, the reward is just him. We want something else, but what he offers is himself. And then, is that enough for you? Is your faith weak because you wanted something other than Christ? We want other things. I want to be healed. I want my job. I want the family restored. I want, I want, I want. And he says, what I have to offer you is just simply myself. 
and we are disappointed that he wants to just give us him and not the other stuff sometimes. If when he healed them, he said, your faith has made you whole, your faith in me was really the reward. It was not the healing. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me, but you won't come to me. We are more comfortable quoting verse after verse, seeking knowledge more than the Christ seeking blessings more than Christ, reading scriptures to verify I can get stuff, not realizing that all the scriptures were merely a testament that I am God. All powerful. I heal to show my power. I didn't want you to get caught up there. I provide to show my faithfulness but I didn't want you to get caught up there. I did all this to show you me, my character, my worth, my ability, for you to see that I am worthy of the praise, the glory, and the adoration. I choose to prove myself to you so that you could freely choose me, but you got distracted and you missed me. And I'm always so touched at the effort that God has went through to show himself to us, to say I'm worthy. Look how much vulnerability he shows. Like, we don't even want to do that with each other. Like, I don't want to sit there and kind of prove to you that I'm worth you to love. We don't want to do that. Like, I want you just to come say, hey, you got cool, and take me. But God has went through 66 books of tiny writing to show us I'm worth it. And I keep proving myself to you. I keep laying stuff out for you. I keep doing all this, yet I'm still not enough for you. I mean, can you imagine? I saw someone, we don't think of the emotional side of God, but he does have an emotional side. How hurt he has to feel. That, but I keep doing for you. Why aren't I enough yet? Why, why don't you trust me yet? And, and why do I have to do all this other stuff for you to come to me? This life is just smokes and mirrors. You are just here so that you can get to eternity. We were created because he wanted to have a relationship with man. He really likes relationships. He really likes to connect. He really likes to be with people. That's why you're here. That's why he chose you. That's why he allowed your heart to want him. That's why he saved you. Don't get caught up on the here. Remember, we're supposed to be wearing this world like a loose garment. So even your disappointments and pains, I never wanted them to distract you from me. It is why I had all my miracles recorded so you would know that I will save you. I will protect you. I will work it out for your good. They're just there to testify of me. Stop getting distracted and come after me. See me, choose me, seek me. Never leave me. This whole thing is just for you, for you and me to be together forever. So every sickness, disease, heartache, pain, abuse is a concoction of Satan to pull you away from me. It's the same script. Don't trust it. I'm not for you. I'm trying to trick you. 
You are greater than Adam and Eve. I am in you now. You have no excuse not to trust me. Your faith is the thing that strengthens you. You believing in me, my love, my strength, my knowledge, my will, my purpose, my ability. This is what will make you invincible. This will make it impossible for the devil's devices to penetrate you. This is a choice because he always gives us a choice. This is what you are, your free will is really all about. Every situation you are making a choice. Every day you are making a choice. You get to choose. But this choice is where he will determine if you are pleasing him or not. On this choice and commitment to this choice, Enoch was translated. This is the biggest choice in our walk. Literally every other thing flows from me choosing faith or not faith. Faith comes from hearing. We have to talk faith. We have to talk God. We have to talk Christ and not get distracted by the stories and the verses. At the end of every hearing, we are to get closer to God. We are to have an increase of faith. We are to believe in a man who God is evermore. So at the end of this, do you believe he will reward you? And will you be satisfied with the word being Christ in your faith? Is that enough for you? If it is not, confess that to God so that he can change your heart. So that he can become enough for you. Once this is required, acquired, excuse me, then you will have faith to move the mountain. Then what you ask will be given. Then nothing will be impossible. But once we enter into this kind of faith, in connection, our will lines up with his will. And we begin to desire and work on the same things. So those little things that you're concerned about may or may not be in his will. You can't do your will and then God's going to amen it. You got to get in his will. But the more our faith grows, the more our connection to God grows, the more we get in his path. And we start acting like him. So we can't wish faith. We have to practice faith. And you can see then why fear, doubt, worry, anxiety are so sinful. They're sins. Don't give yourself a pass. Because they, more than any other sin, are a direct assault against all that God is. No faith says, God, you are a lie. No faith says the serpent was right when he talked to Eve. No faith discounts everything in the word of God. This has to become an unacceptable sin for us. We have to see this for the sin that it is. So put in your mind the worst sin you think there is. Go on and put a lack of faith right next to it. And then think about how often we practice it. At least with some people that do something, it's just randomly. We lack in faith like every day or multiple times a day. That's a lot of sinning. That's a lot of confession. That's a whole lot of cleansing God has to do for us. So choose faith. Plant faith, water faith, grow faith. And never again give yourself a pass for a lack of faith. Never again settle on, I believe, but help my unbelief. Never again live and think like God is a lie. Help is Jesus. 
convict us every time we walk without faith and we talk without faith. Every single time. 